So, yesterday we were speaking about change and uh, there is a reason why it is and how it is connected with our everyday life. For example, we talk about stress, which which was one of the things. So, stress is directly connected uh, to change. Now, this change may be apparently for good, apparently not so good, and yet it is experienced by the life that is undergoing it as a stress. When it is when the change is at a slow pace, snail pace, then we do not experience it as such. But when the pace is very fast, then it is experienced as stress. It happens even in a movement of a vehicle. So people who travel in bullet trains, so they experience it as a great stress because they are moving at a great speed, and so they are given some, you know, something or the other to read so that they can de-stress themselves. So uh, change is the law of life, and it's important to understand it and how to deal with it. Therein lies the whole secret of the manifestation. So what is impelling change? In our ignorance, we feel we are the ones who are creating change. and this thought itself is given to us because we are conscious participants in the process but when results do not take place according to what we wanted them to be then we start wondering that who is the one who is calling the shots so that's where the problem starts as long as things happen according to what i wanted or wished and i have taken certain actions certain measures and things happen so i thank the divine i i mean if i believe in the divine if i don't believe in the divine i uh, feel puffed up with vanity and pride and uh, i believe that well i am the one who brings the change so this is one attitude people take but fortunately in life things don't happen always according to our wish very often they don't happen according to our wish and uh, i use the word fortunately because uh, then we will be stuck in certain grooves um from which will be very difficult to come out so we'll be always moving in never ending circles of uh, pleasure and pain so things don't happen according to that so then we begin to wonder what really is impelling the change so there is a whole way of looking at it that well it's nothing but chance random accidents etc etc uh if it is chance random accidents then there would be technically no world at all because out of chance and random accidents to uh, look at a kind of order emerging so all the time we see in this world the play of order and disorder and sometimes difficult to say which is better because order is created then this order is broken for a new order to emerge so shiva must dance so that brahma can once again release the energies so if it was just a chance random chance and accident it is uh, difficult to even conceive that a world which has progressed from you know the star stage when the stars were forming till conscious man is taking place only through a series of random mutations and there are uh, several scientists speak about it so there is something else which is behind which is operating from behind which is not just chance accidents which we don't understand so then the question then the next answer is the other extreme that it's not chance and random accident but it's the expression of the divine will so that takes us to another aspect dimension altogether well one thing is very obvious if everything that happens in creation is the direct expression of the divine will then it leads to another issue should i act at all number 1 number 2 is is it really so 
all that we see in this creation, well, it's not just about my own life, but life in general. There are many things that happen which are literally unspeakable even for the sensitive human consciousness. So to imagine that the divine is doing those things, so is all purity, all beauty, all harmony, is doing those things is um, almost uh, inconceivable. So many people, very often we see human thought hangs between these two extremes, not knowing which is to be believed with, uh, you know, absoluteness. So here we have to understand how really the divine will operates in this world. It doesn't operate as automatons that everything is directly, you know, divine will moves and we move our hand, we move our feet, we speak. It doesn't happen like that. There is a long period of preparation. So this secret is revealed partly in the Gita and Sri speaks of it at great length. The Vedas contain this secret that there are two natures, Diti and Aditi. There is the all-knowing, omniscient wisdom, omnipotent will which is behind everything and there is the ignorant lower nature which hides this divine will. There is not this, this whatever is happening in this universe is not the direct expression of the divine will. And the mother says if you start believing it that everything that is happening is the result of the divine will directly then you may sometimes land up in the trap of the hostiles. Just imagine that I feel an impulse within. Very often people say that. I feel an impulse within this. I am speaking of it practically. I felt an impulse to do something. I did it. So, isn't it the divine will? So, I sometimes ask this question to people that you felt an impulse to do something. As you said, I think the example, there is a piece of uh, money lying on the ground. It's not a good example by the way because there is a real example of a devotee who picked up the money and that money became so useful to the mother's work. So we can't do it with moral, mental conception and this is not an excuse for picking up money which is lying on the road. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm just giving an example that you felt like picking up the money or you felt like doing something. But is this the only impulsion that came to you? Or there were many other simultaneous impulsions. Was there only one choice or a panorama of choices? Then we discover that as human beings grow more and more conscious, a range of choices begins to appear before them. When we are unconsciously driven, then we are driven like an animal automaton. But there is the money lying on the road. There is one choice I want to pick up. There is another choice I should not pick up. This is the third choice I should pick up and put it in the hundi. The fourth choice that I should pick it up and use it for some good work. So when we have a range of choices at any given point of time, so that means depending upon what action I am going to do, a path will open before me. That's exactly what is the law of karma. And it has nothing to do with reward or punishment. It is simply a process of learning and growth through learning. Depending upon what choices I exercise. So we cannot get rid of the idea of choices. Because uh, if we try to do it that everything is divine will. I'll do nothing or I'll be driven by whatever my impulses are. Then life would be, you know, it will lead to a kind of disaster, a chaos. And we'll be consciously participating in the chaos. So the mother explains it very beautifully. That there are three layers at which the will operates. There is the transcendent will, which is imperative. That's what supermind is about. You know, why Shabinda speaks about the supermind. 
So what is super mind? It is the original will of the creator. It is the creatrix consciousness. It is the sun, the creator, the supramental creator. So there, there is no ambiguity. That's why Shubhendra uses the word like the imperative super mind. So when it acts, that will is direct. It completes, it carries within itself the initiating power and the result. Everything is contained within it. But this will, which is uh, the supramental will, which is of course the will of the creator and it transcends the cosmos, enters into the cosmic play. Then it acts through the mechanism of cosmic ignorance. Let's take an example. Now, why this cosmic ignorance? Because there is a whole preparation before this will can directly manifest. Let's take an example. It's an example. So one has to understand that analogies have their own limitation. That when a child is conceived in the womb, is it only a physical body that is conceived? There is an idea behind it. The parents have an idea. That idea may be the child will do this, become this, whatever it be. Let's say they have an idea. The idea is one day he will grow up and you know, uh, fly the aircraft. So I'm just giving a random example. Or you know, become a good doctor, a compassionate doctor. Or a good human being. So this is the conception. Conception is not just the baby in the womb. But for this conception to express itself, look at the steps and stages. The child developing in the womb doesn't know that my parents have this conception. I am not discussing whether it's a good thing or not <laughs> to have conception about the child. But the process. So, and why not? We, we Conceptions are inevitable because we are not like, you know, mechanically doing things. So, but we should have the highest conception. That's how the mother said that mother's physical mother. She said, what was her conception about the divine mother? I mean, she didn't know she's the divine mother. So she said, my mother wanted always her children to be the very best, the most perfect. That was her, her conception. And she was a lady with an iron will. And she didn't believe in anything which you, your senses could not touch, grasp, feel. This was the kind of parentage. She has to be the best and the perfect, but everything must be graspable by the senses. And all other things are all like, you know, hallucinations, all these things. So now you see, there is a conception. So once the conception takes place, the baby doesn't know that I am, you know, there is a conception behind me. There is a thought behind whatever, you know, my I am born. Now the journey starts. When a child is small, what does the, what do the parents do? They don't say, oh, you know, we have got you into this world to become a pilot. Let's get into the pilot school. They send the child to an ordinary school where a child learns ABCD, does some physical exercises. Are all these things connected to his becoming a pilot? Yes and no. They are needed so that he can get the necessary experience of growth to reach that point where he can fly an aircraft. They can't stop with this idea that, okay, now the child is there. We have this idea. One day when he grows up, then suddenly we will send him to the, you know, um, flying school. It won't work like that. Because the moment things enter into the time-space continuum, so there is a timeless will beyond the, even before there is the origin of time and space. But when it enters the time and space, then the complexity starts. 
So there is the physical body which has to be the base. Then there is the psychological development. All this equipment which will eventually prepare the child. The kind of school the child will go. All this which may not be directly connected. Why I am using the word directly connected? Very often people ask. Um, for instance now. Okay I am a doctor now. Uh, in my profession. So uh, do I remember the algebra that I read in the school? No I don't. Was it a waste? No it wasn't. So how it wasn't a waste? Well it helped my brain muscles to develop uh, you know in algebra I learned that A and B is not just apple and ball but A and B can carry a very different connotation they are symbols so that knowledge I carried I may forget the quadratic equation but I do remember understood that A and B are symbols and you know I need to understand that you know what it means similarly words initially when you read you understand they are just this means this but then you grow up, you understand what is a symbol. Word is nothing else but a symbol. You can represent the same thing with different words. In every language there is a word. You can represent by a sign language. So the mind becomes complex, wider, more and more developed. Till it can express the truth that is behind it. So there are two stages of a schooling. First is the development in ignorance. In which all kinds of experience come as feeders. The experiences may be pleasant, they may be unpleasant. I remember in my school days, um, suddenly I started laughing because, you know, teacher was doing something funny. So I started laughing and I was told to go out of the class. But because I was laughing, other students also started laughing. So eventually, out of 10 children, 7 of us were outside the class. And we started having great fun. Now, I remember this whole story very vividly. <laughs> so, now what was it? Outwardly, if I look at it, it was a kind of punishment. But it wasn't a punishment at all. We learned another way of, you know, having a joy of life. So there are many things in life which may appear. A teacher may punish somebody that, you know, apparently outwardly that you have to, you made a mistake and you have to do it again and again. But another way to looking at, of looking at it is that I learned that if I make a mistake, I can correct it. I can change that no failure is ultimate. So all this learning is going on constantly. And that's what karma is about. It's not about reward and punishment. Karma is the means by which we, which we grow. There is no other means to grow except by karma. Doing, if we don't do an action and just, you know, some people have read a lot of books and there's a jumble in the head. That's why yoga is best learned by practicing it. Shavinda is best understood by putting into practice whatever little we read. It may be just aspiration. It may be just about surrender. It may be just about remembrance. It may be just about equanimity. I am saying just about, but that just about is a big just about. But whatever little we put into practice, that really helps us to grow. That's why the Gita has made a very interesting observation when Arjuna says, you are, taught, you are saying very big things. Can I really practice it? And he says, Swalpamasya dharmasya. Do a little. It will free of great fear. So that's how we go through the first stage of growth which is in the school of ignorance. In the school of ignorance, we get pleasure and pain. We get reward and punishment. That's how we interpret it. But that school of ignorance is devised in such a way. Now that's where we see the wisdom that operates. That as we go through it and graduate it, then we look back and say, oh, this was needed for my growth. 
I am where I am because all this was a needed experience. But when I am going through the experience, in my ignorance, it may sound very terrible. When moms send their children to school, it's a, I mean, it's a catastrophic moment for the child. Most of the children cry. Because it's like, my mom doesn't love me at all. How can she do this injustice of sending me to school? In the house, you are one child, two child, wonderful. And you go to a school, 35 children, 40 children. So it's a terrible moment, you know. And yet, mamas do that because child has to grow up. So this is how we are pushed by forces of ignorance. And there also, there is inbuilt within it a system of choices. As we grow, we begin to become aware of more and more choices. Hasn't it happened in life that we have taken a road and later on we think, I wish I had done this. All life is full of all these background wishes. I wish, I wish. But actually, what is true is that that's how we learn. These errors were steps on the way. There is a very beautiful passage in Savitri. One who has made this world is ever its Lord. Our errors are his steps upon the way. He works through the fierce vicissitudes of our lives. He works through the hard breath of battle and toil. He works through our sins, our sorrows and our tears. Whatever the appearance... We must bear when nothing we can see but drift and bail. A mighty guidance leads us still through all. So now we get the real thread that there is behind all these apparent pushing, striving, winning, losing, succeeding, failing. There is a wisdom and a will which is operating behind through all the seeming anomalies of life. So logical, common sense, wisdom demands that the sooner I get at the thread of what this wisdom and will is, the better it is for me. Because to align with it is the most logical thing to do. Otherwise, how long will I enter into this seesaw game? How long, you know, today I am rising on the wave of joy and tomorrow I will crash land into, you know, despair. So that's why we see that when, when this time comes, when, when a human being begins to wonder what is this play about, sometimes when he is badly shaken, then he questions. When everything is very good, then we don't say what is the divine will. Then we say this is divine will. Not only will, divine grace. The mother once quoted, he said, you know, it's so true in the Bible, what is said in the Bible, that it's much more easier to make a camel pass through the eye of a needle than to make a rich man turn to God. It said, we may think it is a grace but very often it can even be a curse. So we don't understand. We think that it is divine will. In our life everything is going wonderfully. But who knows? This illusion that we carry of knowledge you know, there, there used to be in, um, one of these sadhaks Odisha's sadhak Prapatiji used to go a lot of places to give talks in Odisha. So one day somebody asked him that, in my life everything has been very wonderful. So before he could complete the question, Rapatiji tells him, maybe the divine has not looked at you. You see this double sense which is there, Shani, what is Shani? What is, people are so afraid of Shani. Shani will do this, Shani will do this. What is Shani? He is the, he is the God of justice, balances things. 
he is not a bad guy you know i am not saying that call him there is grace which is a much better grace doesn't want to go to sunny uh, and people try to please sunny don't do that he will be very happy that there is somebody who is trying to please me and his method is very different his method is that he will set the balance right which is very painful so instead of trying to please this guy that look here on every saturday i light a lamp of in your name then he'll say very good i am coming and if he comes shani ki drishti but instead call grace what grace will do it bypasses this is the whole grace annuls the law of karma it says you don't have to go through this complex process i'll take care of you teach you directly and see in this long process there is much which is apparent waste there is nothing in reality waste but an apparent waste so directly i'll teach you that's you see when mother started this school in in ashram of course she said that it's way behind the original expectations but she used a different method altogether if method it can be called a free progress method which means when she was asked how to define it she said it is to progress according to the need of your soul now if somebody could see it she she can see that so when we surrender to the divine mother she doesn't there is no need to go through this long process which is also a device created by her when we move in ignorance but when we turn directly and surrender and we say you take charge of my life she says okay so we reach a point where we say that okay i have played enough made a fool of myself and if somebody believes that he has not made a fool of himself or herself then one is not ready for the yoga i must say <laughs> and when you can laugh at all the follies you made then yes you have wisdom <laughs> but if you think i never you know fool myself then well wait for some more time <laughs> so then she says okay now she takes charge so there is the diti and there is aditi so diti is datyas how do they operate division me and my life so in the first stage of our evolution my selfish interests are the only thing and this also is part of the whole working so there i look only for my interest what immediately satisfies you know gives me pleasure so he says okay take your share of pleasure with that share of pleasure comes as i was saying yesterday tagged tag along is pain why because it's a grace and then a time come when we have had enough with this kind of existence and we look for something larger greater and then aditi the divine mother adityas she says now i'll take over so her method is very different she doesn't want us to go through pain and suffering and all this divine never give divine doesn't test us whom you know she knows us because we have immersed and she knows when we are ready and we had gone through the stage of the ignorance and then she takes hold of us and when she takes us the journey becomes much more meaningful fast swift apparently through the you know diplomatic corridor where you don't have to go through the customs so this is how the process takes place while in ignorance we have to make our choices there is nobody who will who will make the choices for us. this is the plan and by choices i mean at any given point of time as we evolve we will see more and more choices are appearing the sign of an evolved humanity is that one makes choices one is not driven just by the instincts it is given to man to you know make choices and then the next stage of evolution is when we give all these choices at the feet of the divine mother surrender ourselves to her and we say well 
can you make the choices for us? She'll say, wait, I'll, I'll not bypass the law of evolution, but I'll give you the wisdom to make the right choice. The wisdom to make the right choice is to align with the divine will. And then life begins to change. Until then, what do we walk with? We don't know what is the divine will. Very often this question comes. What is the divine will really? Well, to know the divine will is itself a yoga. It's not like, you know, one, <laughs> one day I'll sit and know the divine will. You have to practice equanimity. That means the entire veil of lower nature through which it is operating, we have to just quieten it. Still the mind, quieten the restless vital desire, get rid of preferences, stay away from opinions. Now you see already these four steps are so difficult. <laughs> and then when the mind is still, when the vital is no more restless, when we have done away with opinions, preferences, then the divine will manifest. Now that is not an easy task. Secondly, the divine will doesn't express itself in terms of should I make this career choice or that career choice. The divine will manifest itself as a set of attitudes. Much later, yes, she will also dictate, as the mother said, how much lump of sugar you need to put into your tea. Yeah. At, at one point, you know, it will manifest like that. But in the beginning, it expresses itself as a set of attitudes we must take towards life. So the first step to move towards knowing the divine will is to practice equanimity. That's where acceptance comes in. So acceptance doesn't mean that I'll do things indifferently. It means I'll do what I think to be the best, but leave the result in the hands of the divine. So that is acceptance, where I do what I believe to be the best, it may or may not be the divine will. I mean, let's take it from where we are. So how will I make a choice? Make a choice based on the highest capacity, highest faculty, discernment, reason, whatever is highest and deepest within us. Whatever it is, doesn't matter. But based on that, we act and surrender it to the divine will. That I have done what I felt deep within. Even if we are doing something which is apparently not so uh, good, when we surrender it to the divine will, he will start operating within us and change us. How will it operate? Supposing somebody's highest was that, you know, one needed money and justified. Human mind has developed the art of justifying everything. I need money, so no harm in doing something which is not quite right, apparently. But I have a need of money and I have swindled the system and I have made money so what happens when a person offers it to the divine will and one doesn't by offering I don't mean money but offered that state in which one has done to the divine and when one goes without offering it so when you do it without offering it you go through the natural consequences through which you learn and grow these consequences are not like if I have stolen money I will suddenly lose it. It may just work the other way around. See, in the Gita, there is a very interesting... Um, he says, I am the cunning of the clever fellow who is cheating people. So why he allows this? You do it. So why, why am I cheating people? I'll have money. Why? Because if I have money, I'll get this, that. So he'll let you have the money. See, this is the law of karma. Law of karma is whatever you put your energy into it, that you will get. 
if you have perfected the art of deceiving others you will actually because you have one has tried to become over clever at deceiving people you will master this art there are people who have mastered the art of deceiving others it doesn't happen that suddenly there is a electrical you know lightning strikes and they suddenly get paralyzed it doesn't happen like that they become more and more expert in cheating but what happens the inbuilt mechanism now you see they get more and more cut off from the natural joy of existence the only means through which they start getting joy is when they cheat successfully so what is happening the consciousness is becoming more and more narrow this is the consequence the consequence is not that you know the one has made lot of money materially by unjust means that money is suddenly taken away it doesn't happen it very often happens to the honest taxpayer that the money is taken away these are facts that we observe so we don't need to pass it on to previous karma in some life it's very simple i have paid attention to my consciousness in making money i'll make money doesn't matter honest means dishonest means but when i do this because i have used these means unjust means unfair means i have my consciousness becomes more and more thick more and more dense and therefore my inner state becomes more and more restless more and more you know full of anxieties that's how shri krishna describes in the gita about the asura asura is tied by bonds of anxieties a thousand bonds of anxieties isn't it it's something very interesting because the natural consequence consequence is not that i took money and and see this is so natural i have put energy in one direction that will develop this is how nature does it but there is the wisdom so i'll get the lesson of what it means all my life i want lot of money there is the story of the midas touch that you you will make gold but at the end you will end up touching your own daughter and you realize that all this gold couldn't get me love a daughter's love so this is how it operates this veiling takes place between us and the divine take the other case scenario see this beautifully described this law of karma in shrivindo story swapna dream take the other case scenario where one surrenders to the divine will and says i want to do what you want me to do i want to be what you want me to be it doesn't mean a windfall of money will start coming and suddenly you know every, it may not happen none of these may happen if you really look at the life of those who gave themselves shrivindo's own life when he has come to pondicherry that means he had already realized what states of realization he writes humorously that well um, i have just about money we have left for dinner that's it tomorrow what they will do they don't know so he says i know god will provide but he has contracted a bad habit of providing at the last moment he writes humorously in a letter <laughs> but what is happening in the bargain i am growing in consciousness more and more there is a natural delight that's why shrivindo even in the jail can write so humorously you know when he describes the lufsi he speaks of it as brahman and three types of brahman when the lufsi is little yellowish then he says hiranyagarb when it is white then he says it is pragya when it has sprinkling of some vegetables in it then he says this is virat all ingredients are put in it what made him this the delight that he begins this shivindo wrote a very interesting essay on prison and freedom so that delight starts entering into us and then automatically many of the things in life that we are doing to buy artificial joy they drop away 
because this delight begins to flow in our life very naturally love is born it is releasing itself in everything because i have tried to come in contact with the divine will so whatever is my highest based on that we make a choice but keep on surrendering it to the divine at first the sign that our surrender is true is that when results are not according to what i wanted i don't say that look here i surrendered but you know there's no buts in surrender if you there is a very nice bhajan amira that i'll be what you want me to be if you want me to sleep on the floor i am happy if you want me to sleep on a nice uh, bed i am happy if you want me to put pearls and necklaces i am fine if you want me to be absolutely bare without any ornaments i am fine so this equanimity is the test that our surrender is true if there is a deviation from equanimity then the surrender was only a lip service and this surrender grows at physical level emotional level vital level intellectual level there are things which are contrary to what i expected but when we practice equanimity we start coming out of the shell of the ego so we must do what we know to be the best and but yet what is the best so best is to have a clear cut aim in life that makes it so much more easier if let us say my aim is to find the divine and join with the divine then my best will be whatever takes me closer to the divine if my aim is to you know uh, be a very successful man earn a lot of name fame etc then my actions automatically will tend towards that that's why it's so important to have aspiration it's a package aspiration directly contradicts ambition because by aspiration means you're climbing heights ambition is moving at the same level so when i aspire for the very highest and then my action i should see whether it is helping me going toward the highest or it is preventing me everybody knows it that's not something to be taught and when i act in conformity to this deeper understanding that my action will take me towards the goal it will be a help in my aspiration then that is called sincerity sincerity is nothing else but and by action i mean the whole package action means the outer act the inner motive the state of consciousness and when we align ourselves to the goal then that is sincerity so in, in the context of when the goal is divine then my action should be such that it should help my aspiration not contradict it how do i know that it will contradict it we'll know it um, very directly divine that's why divine is often described as all peace all joy beauty harmony when i do an action which is in tune with the divine will automatically there is this sense of peace ease no outer result is required you will feel so joyous inside there will be a deep sense of peace as they say which surpasses all understanding the joy which is self existent and if we allow this joy and peace to cultivate and grow then knowledge comes in love blossoms a law of harmony and beauty begins to reshape our life because that's the action of the divine but when my actions and my motives are not in tune with the divine will then i may get everything outside but i'll start losing on these things i'll become more and more disturbed i'll become more and more restless i'll feel that there is a veil and see this is why when people feel this veil inside growing more and more then they start looking for something outside to get that little joy so what do they do they do the most foolish things 
from drugs to parties to why because you are not feeling the natural joy joy is given to man it's 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 a look at children you know they are so happy spontaneously but as they grow up we teach them no you are not supposed to be simply happy <laughs> this you know maybe with this little anecdote we can stop and take questions there was this um, one of the classes that i was taking in with students so they were going for um, you know to one of the slums so they said sir we are going to the slums tomorrow uh, i said why are you going who has put you on this assignment you know we want to see how these poor children how they you know uh, how much they suffer and all i said okay do one thing make an honest observation whether they are suffering more or you are suffering more <laughs> I said, just make an honest observation. Don't go with conception. So they went. They came back. They said they were happy. The children were very happy. See, this is it's not this not to mean that we should live in slums. Not at all. But this happiness, which was naturally inborn, until someone came and said, "You are bhuka nangalo." This something which was inborn, innate. It is given to human beings. We, in fact. do everything to lose it we start putting bars between our this spontaneous state and so every creature is born with this basic state of it's given that's why this idea of orphan it didn't exist in indian thought shakuntala was an orphan and she is the mother of prince bharat on whose name bharat varshis so this idea of orphan anath there is no anath because nath is there in everybody see this uh, how this rootedness in indian thought gives a totally different perspective when you look at the life of karna from the socialistic perspective of a, a kind of thought which looks at justice is justice in a very surface way then you start sympathizing with karna but when you look at it from the indian perspective you look at it very different both karna and arjuna had the same similar challenge one grew into a cynic who was all the time trying to prove himself another grew into an instrument of god this is the difference because in indian thought you are there is the divine all the time with us it doesn't matter where you are and what so this is how we have to tune ourselves that's what life is about there is this dark veil of ignorance through which we are pushed until we and even in that ignorance there is an intervention it's not like divine has abandoned us you go into ignorance i am not there he is there walks with us always there behind us even in the life of crass ignorance when we can see nothing even when we don't believe even when we don't care that the divine exists he exists he knows himself he is not oh you don't believe in me i am going to look into he <laughs> doesn't even when we believe in him very ignorantly that only this god is god no other god still he is there like that's where the compassion benevolence comes in so when he sees that we are in distress and if he just make a little call he will be there even without that call intervene see so many people often people ask this question and you know why this man who was apparently so evil why he is saved when you know well because he is the nature of the divine he doesn't look at it like that from his perspective so he is intervening in all the steps of life 
but very often he will let us go through the experiences necessary and yet just a little call inside is enough for the divine to intervene it doesn't matter whether we believe in him or not sometimes when people say i don't believe in god so my simple answer is god believes in you don't worry <laughs> because he believes in you it is he who has become you and he knows what he the idea he has put into you so he knows himself Shivendra says the divine knows himself in the heart of the seeker. It doesn't matter what, <laughs> but when we also begin to believe, then there is a delight. We miss upon that. That's what yesterday we were speaking about. Path of tapasya, all my effort. How do I meditate? How do I sit? And all this. He says, okay, but the other is the path of surrender. So when we surrender, what is the what is the difference? There is the joy even here. There, it is the divine who is supporting the journey, but we don't see it. But in the other one, there is the delight of togetherness, of joy. There is love, which is so beautiful. So this is the difference, you know, that bhakti brings in that delight, because delight is born. Delight, love, harmony—they're all close cousins. So this is why this world was made to express delight in multiplicity. But it takes a long process. The more we veil the presence, the more we start looking for its degraded versions. and it can go to this degree of degradation that some people just you know feel unless i have my daily quota of wine i cannot be happy but those who are in the nasha of the divine <laughs> they say iska nasha hi nahi hoga <laughs> so these and as i said first stage is going through the darkness even then he intervenes but when we consciously hand over our life to the divine which is what surrender is about faith is implied in it I can't say that I have surrendered to you, but then uh, have you? Really, some people ask, uh, "Does the divine really hear?" My simple answer is, "Who else hears? Human beings hear? Are we kidding? 